Lately, we've been asking about pricing power. Today, it looks like we may need to start asking a new question. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me today for the second time this week, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, yesterday was fun while it lasted. <laughs> And today the market continues its grim slide. So um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on what appears to be a trend, um, or if it's not a trend, it's certainly a, a growing amount of data, and it has to do with consumer prices. But you know, I say consumer prices; it may even be on the business side as well. But this morning we got two bits of consumer data. One was. That for the first time this year, airfare prices have dropped. So yep. for anyone still looking to book uh, some summer travel, that's welcome news. Um, and more specifically, Kroger came out and said that their customers are starting to drop more expensive name brand products in favor of lower price generics. And you and I have talked plenty of times in the past about pricing power. You know what businesses have it. What are the limits that they can push it? Um, earlier this year, you and I talked specifically with regards to Chipotle and their ability to raise prices. And you had made that point, like, yeah, they're they're doing a pretty good job right now. I don't know how much more they can push it. And I'm wondering if we are now moving into a new phase where the question for businesses is not, do they have pricing power, but instead the question is. How strong is their balance sheet? Can yeah. they with can they withstand individual customers or other businesses spending less? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good that's a good uh, question. I mean, it, we've sort of hit that phase of this cycle where consumers starting to trade down. I mean, clearly, inflation is is hitting us from from all sides. And I mean, you look at some of the data out there. I mean. Uh, in 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 regard to the store brands versus national brands, in the first quarter of this year, sales of store brand uh, store owned brands rose six and a half percent. That was compared that compares with five point two percent increase in national brand sales, and and so we we have seen you know that move already really from from all the way back to the beginning of the year, where where folks have started to. Trade down, so to speak, a little bit, um, and that makes sense. The, another interesting concept, and it's a funny word. It always kind of makes me chuckle when I see it, but shrinkflation. Where I'm sorry, <laughs> what? I've never heard that. Shrinkflation. It's a word. It's a word. Uh, but it's basically, you know, companies are very clever, right? These these national brands, right? They, they're very clever um, in how they exercise pricing power. It doesn't necessarily always come in the form of higher prices. It can come in the form of shrinking the actual product size and maintaining the same price, right? So that box of cereal that was 14 ounces, maybe now it's 12, and and Customers are on the lookout for that kind of stuff, right? It, it does matter. So, pricing power is a very strong uh, quality to have. We love to see it, but it's always it's always worth remembering. You, 
it, it doesn't go to the moon, right? There is a cap, there is a ceiling where you, you kind of have to stop. Um, but but I mean, it, it's really sensitive on the food side right now. I think you know within food products, uh, you, you see the the prices up eleven point nine percent for food stuff that we're eating at home versus stuff that we're eating at restaurants, eating away from home. That those prices rising just seven point four percent. So it's really it's hitting consumers in, in the house, and and so when you see the way these businesses start trying to cope with this, uh, absolutely. Looking at balance sheets, I think is is a wonderful way to get a to get a grip on on a company's financial stability, right? Because if you think about it, well, in in this rising interest rate environment, in this inflationary environment, of course, we as consumers are getting hit by it. Um, it makes perfect sense that businesses would get hit by it too, but it's not every business, right? I mean, for businesses that generate free cash flow for businesses that are profitable for businesses that have excellent balance sheets right they're they're able to more or less self fund they're not going to be necessarily beholden to the same inflationary pressures that consumers might be feeling um, it's it's a very good reminder though uh, to to always pay attention to a company's fiscal fitness so to speak um, be because they they all uh, they all are not equal so I've experienced shrinkflation. I just didn't know there was a word for it. Um, and <laughs> the example I always think of uh, in this case was years ago, um, talking with our colleague Charlie Travers, and he made a comment about ice cream uh, in a grocery store, sort of packages of ice cream, and and he was referring to this happening. And I, I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "He said, do you ever buy ice cream at the grocery store?" I was like, "Yeah, of course I do." <laughs> and uh, and he said, "What size is it?" Uh, he said, "What size do you buy?" I said, "I buy the two quart size." He said, "No, it's no longer two quarts. It's now one and a half quarts. Yeah. They just they adjusted the packaging, um, and that's how they managed it. Um, and you can do that with a package of ice cream, but if you're in the business of say." software like like that seems like a tough thing to pull off if you you know and i'm i, I i'm wondering if you think we're going to start seeing more story like the two stories i mentioned those are consumer facing uh, prices that we're talking about here do you think we're going to start seeing this on the business side as well I I, th I think we will to an extent. I mean, I think it, you know, the message is clear. I mean, we're seeing businesses more and more headlines coming out every day. The businesses are focused on maintaining, uh, you know, a, a stronghold on the expense line, right? Uh, the hiring. I think what Uber Uber said, for example, they will treat hiring as a privilege, um, and and so I, I think now more than ever, businesses are looking at the costs of doing business and looking at ways that they can. Uh, you know, simplify, become more efficient, and it, it's it's interesting to think about. So, software, like you, you think about the way that that the workforce has changed over the last few years, and and there are certain things that companies now are more dependent on than than before. Like you look at your Zooms and your Slacks of of the world, and how how pivotal they are to just our everyday. Work right. I mean, it, most people are using some form of 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 those those uh, platforms in in order to be able to get work done, and so it, it all speaks to well, if if a company really kind of is reliant on it, well, then they don't necessarily have 
that freedom to be able to say, you know what, we're going to cut this cost, or we're going to cut that. Like they're they're not going to say, well, we're just going to get rid of Slack, for example, because then what's the alternative? Now, interestingly, there is an alternative, right? I mean, Microsoft, I think, stands out as a shining example here. But you look at Zoom and Slack, both provide services that a lot of businesses are using. Well, Microsoft obviously uh, provides services that most businesses use. Um, and, and furthermore, now having developed the Teams platform, which could certainly be seen as a as a substitute for Zoom and Slack, right? And Microsoft having that fortress balance sheet, having that size, having the financial resources, uh, they can package that differently. They could price that you know more effectively. And so it, it does seem like this would be a stretch where Microsoft could get out there and say, "Hey, we're going to help businesses save a little bit on those." On those expenses, by offering something like uh, you know Microsoft Teams as, as a competitor to, to what you're doing on Slack and Zoom today, um, some companies will some companies maybe will make the shift and some won't. Um, it, it just really I think ultimately depends on what leadership of the companies want and, and really what the employees prefer to use. But but I do think it it does speak to uh, the value in having something where substitutes are rare. And, and so I think when you're looking at the software that companies are using, uh, I mean there are probably a million <laughs> payment payment providers, right? I mean there are, there are a million payroll software providers, and I, and I feel like uh, that might be a little bit different than something like a communication tool. And and uh, so it it does it does matter exactly the purpose that the software serves. Well, and it, you know it's one more question we can ask ourselves as investors when we are looking at any business. Um, and it's you know it's of course related to the pricing power question, and it's basically how big are the switching costs for this business? Yeah. You know it's pretty easy for anyone going into a grocery store to just switch to a lower priced product uh, when faced with that choice. And as more people are sort of tightening their belts, uh, their fiscal belts, um, I think we're going to see more of that. It's a little bit harder when the switching costs for what is the communications platform that our company uses, and the bigger the company, arguably the higher the switching costs because it's uh, as you indicated, um, you got to get your employees on board with it. Yeah, I think that's really the key. Is I mean, ultimately, the employees need to be on board with it, and so um, it, it, it's it's never it's it's never just just that cut and dry, right? And the longer that you use these particular platforms, the more that you get used to using them, and the more functionality they they build in. And there's 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 things that you do probably without even thinking twice um, with these platforms now. And and then to switch over, yeah, you really do have to weigh that. I mean, it is going to be. Uh, a short-term versus a long-term perspective, there, right? I mean, are you? Is it worth the financial savings uh, for something that could potentially be an inferior product, or, or maybe it's a superior one? I mean, like I, I look at Microsoft Teams as a, as an interesting uh, example because having used Microsoft Teams before, I mean, I, I found it really good. Uh, I mean, Zoom and Slack are helpful too. Like, I, it. it for me, I don't know. I really guess I would be more or less indifferent, but but others would probably feel very strongly one way or the other. And so, yeah, you do have to figure you have to figure that out. It's, it's a balancing act for sure. The bigger the company, the more employees. Uh, that's just that's just more opinions that you have to take into consideration. <laughs> it's really going to be interesting the next six months what we see out of these types of businesses because um, again the switching costs are higher. 
Um, but if some businesses, you know, and and you sort of spoke to this that um, it's not really an option to not have them. Like yeah. if you're, you know. Uh, so many more businesses look at things like Zoom and Slack and sort of their, uh, you know, whether they're um, a hybrid uh, setup or fully remote, like whatever it is, you got to have some version of Zoom or Slack to exist as a business. And so then the question becomes: All right, well, do we do we want to switch? It's going to be really interesting to see over the next couple of earnings seasons if we start seeing some of these businesses lose customers as a result, or if um, they are less in the driver's seat and they have to basically make some concessions so that they can keep their customers. I mean, this is something you and other analysts bring up when we're talking about uh, software companies, um, you know, a business like Okta, that sort of thing, where it's, hey, they've got their customer base, and then they've got their essentially the customers who spend, you know, over a thousand dollars or over a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars or over a million dollars per year, and it's going to be interesting to see what those numbers continue to look like. Yeah, and I mean, it does seem like an opportunity for some of those providers to really earn a little goodwill from their customers, right? In a trying time such as this. You you can either be the provider that is going to try to capitalize on that and raise prices, um, or you could be a provider that says, "Hey, listen, you know, we're we're kind of all in the same boat here, dealing with with a, a difficult economic environment." I mean, I think you probably were looking at these Q two numbers coming out, and, and they will indicate that we're in a, in a recession now. I mean, it, it certainly feels like one. It feels like the longer term opportunity is for a a company to hold back on on pushing that pricing up, right? Saying, "Listen, we're we're not going to try to put the screws to you right now because we know everybody's dealing with it from all angles." That goodwill certainly can can breed longer lasting relationships where where you ultimately grow the relationship with that provider, right? You go back to those 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 net expansion numbers, right? I mean, those you look for those uh, how how are they growing the relationship, and uh, that that's always a good metric to pay attention to. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how companies approach this because there's there there are a couple of different perspectives there. Appreciate the time, Jason. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. When we think about the applications for virtual reality, we often go to gaming as an example. But one of the more promising use cases for VR is in healthcare. Among other things, virtual worlds can make something like physical therapy a lot more engaging. Sanmeet Deo joins Jason Moser to talk about the possibilities for VR in healthcare and one mid-cap company that has an important leg up over the tech giants in this space. Hey, Sanmeet, it's great to catch up with you again. This week, we're talking about immersive technology. In, in, in immersive technology, it's, it's all around us. Uh, but you and I are actually both really excited about one particular market where it has significant potential, and that is in the health and wellness space. Uh, so, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the companies in this space, what they're doing. When we talk about immersive technology, it's kind of a broad term, right? I mean, it includes things like augmented reality and virtual reality. And now you hear a lot of a lot of talk about mixed reality. Real quickly, let's just for for our listeners, let's remind our listeners the differences between the two in augmented reality and virtual reality. What is augmented reality, and how is that different from virtual reality? 
Yeah, Jason, uh, and thanks for, for having me. It's uh, excited to talk about this. So just to lay the groundwork here, augmented reality kind of enhances your surroundings by adding digital elements to a live view or real world setting. Um, and it's usually done through your camera on your smartphone or, 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 or augmented reality device. Think Iron Man's glasses, you know, how he puts those glasses on and then he sees the real world, but then he sees digital either images or information kind of laid on top of the, the, the real world setting and gets information that he needs. Um, virtual reality is a completely immersive experience that basically replaces the real life environment with a simulator or a virtual one. So think of the holodeck on Star Trek when they walk onto the holodeck and you can simulate a whole different environment from one what what you're in already. So that's kind of how I think of the difference between augmented and virtual reality. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's spot on there, and, and I think for for our discussion today, we're we're really talking a bit more about virtual reality and, and the impact that it's having in the health and wellness space. And there are some there are some obvious suspects that are, that are doing a lot of work in in this space, and, and then there are some smaller companies that maybe folks might not be as familiar with. Uh, so let's just kind of start from the top here and, and and talk about some of those some of those companies that are making waves in this market. The, the companies that people are probably more familiar with, and there are, I think, four in particular that you've kept your eye on, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the um, one of the, the biggest ones that you think of is is Meta. Uh, I mean, Meta has their Oculus Quest. Where now I believe it's called the Meta Quest Two. So it's the big goggles that you put on, and then you can. Um, there's a, they have a whole bunch of apps related to gaming and health and fitness and and all those things. So so the Meta Quest Two is kind of like a virtual reality platform where you put on the glasses and some of the apps that they have that are great, especially for fitness or things like the Fit XR, which they titled, which has been titled the most intense workout amongst VR apps. Um, there's an app called Supernatural, um, which won the VR the best VR workout app overall. So you have workouts like boxing, meditation, hit, stretching, and it kind of can gamify fitness with leaderboards and creating goals for yourself and interacting with coaches. So, um, and it, it, it's a great device. I've never used it myself. I've definitely been wanting to use that. So, so Meta has that, um, which is their main device, which is a, a big consumer device that we think of primarily. Um, Microsoft has the HoloLens, which is a, what they call a mixed reality headset, which can kind of work um, augmented and virtuality. So, like what we talked about earlier. So, it allows the person to put on these glasses, work hands-free, collaborate with remote colleagues in real time. Some of the use cases for those are are of course healthcare, um, seeing a patient, and and seeing um, like as you're as you're working with the patient, you could see their patient records, their charts, their data, kind of like in an image right next to you as you're working with the patient. So it makes it a lot easier than fumbling around with a chart or, or data or pulling up any information you need as you're as you're working with the patient. So um, that's an that's an exciting device. And you know, even Intuitive Surgical is a company that has a SimNow simulation system where it guides surgeons through realistic exercises, kind of master complex procedures. So so think of medical training and education for doctors and nurses and medical professionals being able to perform procedures and, and, and surgeries and 
all the work that they do on a virtual body versus a physical body so that way they don't mess it up on someone <laughs> in in real life which I, I i for one would be would be uh would be totally totally for so um <laughs> they also received an fda approval for their iris augmented reality system which is replay it displays like 3d renderings of patients anatomy for for their for physicians on their ipads and their iphones they can view manipulate the 3d model as part of like their pre-op surgical planning and, and referencing it during operations so you know in a in, in the healthcare space you know they the, a lot of the use cases are are digital twinning which is kind of simulating the patient for the doctor to kind of observe and 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 practice on or work on telemedicine where you're remotely treating patients through an air of your headset or your smartphone and then medical training education like we, we kind of talked about a little bit with with training the doctors and nurses on a virtual patient versus an actual patient so when they get to the actual patient they can actually perform very well yeah it feels to me like i mean one of the things that technology has is doing in the healthcare space uh, in a particular immersive technology virtual reality things like that it's helping scale healthcare right i mean it it is it's giving us the ability to get more healthcare out there to the folks that need it most, it feels like we're kind of in this environment where we have a growing number of patients. Right, the population continues to grow, and yet if you look at the actual data, we have a shrinking number of physicians. Right, I mean the actual professionals, the providers in the healthcare space. I mean that's the barriers to entry there are high. Right, it's a lot of money, a lot of education, and you really need to be committed and passionate about doing that. So it is a limited supply of providers and a growing base of of really demand there in, in virtual virtual reality immersive technology technology in general is helping us scale healthcare which i think is one of the bigger challenges that that we've been trying to solve for so it's really encouraging to see this happening i mean it is it is Sort of slowly but surely, but you really see a lot of these companies making uh, a lot of a lot of uh, investments. They're making great strides in doing this. Now, we talk about the big companies like your Googles and Metas and Microsofts of the world that are doing all sorts of neat things when it comes to immersive technology. But they're not limited to the healthcare space, right? I mean, they're doing all sorts of things: gaming, healthcare, entertainment, all of that, all of that neat stuff. There are some smaller companies out there, perhaps a little bit lesser known to to, to some investors, but they're making great strides in, in focus specifically on healthcare. And, and Penumbra is a company that stands out to me. And you and I have talked about Penumbra a little bit. Uh, and I know that you you recently had an interview with Penumbra leadership. Let's talk a little bit about Penumbra, what the company does, and how. Penumbra Penumbra is using virtual reality uh, to, 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 to advance the healthcare space. Yeah, so, you know, Penumbra actually bought a company that they um, were able to to, to in, incorporate and create a what they're calling the real immersive system, which is an advanced kind of rehab technology that uses you know, virtual reality for therapeutic activities developed with input from rehab experts. So it's it's basically they have a device similar to the to Meta, where it's big goggles, and it's actually received initial FDA clearance in 2019. So using the device along with a physical therapist or physical um, uh, therapists, professionals, or doctors, um, they can help patients recover from things um, such as you know chronic back and neck pain or stroke rehab or Parkinson's. Um, you know they can support the rehab of upper body with focus on kind of strengthening range of motion and, and postural control, and it can even do things like addressing kind of cognitive functions like visual spatial awareness and and, and command response. So basically. 
I find this interesting. My, my wife is a physical medicine rehab doctor and she, she works with physical therapists and patients who are experiencing a lot of these things, mostly like weekend warriors, so fitness related stuff, but being able to kind of use a virtual reality device and to, to kind of enhance the rehab process is especially for things like stroke rehab or, or patients that really can't like feel like or, or or use their arms or legs or whatever they're they're facing their challenges in um using a virtual reality device actually it's almost like tricking the mind to be able to to do what they thought they couldn't do and it actually enhances the process of rehab and so it's a very exciting field and and, and you know the interview i did with the, the 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 ceo was was great if you i definitely recommend listeners to check that out but it's 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 very young it's very new um but it's it's a lot of practical great use case that I, f I feel like could could really help these patients kind of get to a, another level in their rehab quicker because of virtual reality um so that's definitely an exciting company doing some exciting things how important do you feel like uh you, you penumbra small cap by, by i think virtually every definition um how important do you feel like it is for a company like penumbra in going up against the behemoths in this in, in in tech, right? Apple, Google, Microsoft. I mean, those are those are formidable companies with vast, virtually limit, limitless resources. How important do you think FDA clearances for something like that? I mean, Penumbra. That, is that really, is that a competitive advantage? You think that with Penumbra having that FDA clearance, is that something that really uh, separates them? From the company. Oh, absolutely! Because while the device may look like a regular like consumer device, there's kind of being a there's there's becoming kind of a sh a, a divide between the the consumer devices and the more medical oriented devices, where you need a medical professional to kind of help you use that device to achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve when it comes to your rehab or your or your health or medical um, goals so you you could while while somebody looking to help themselves with chronic back or neck pain can pick up the device and just start doing stuff you may not necessarily know how to use it in the proper way to get the gains and the goals that that you have so I think it's a it's a real competitive advantage and something they can use to to their to their um, to their benefit. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Sandmate, it's been great catching up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Jason. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.